You are listening to As a Woman, Episode 7, The Menstrual Cycle, Period. In this episode, I'm talking about the menstrual cycle and how our hormones control our bodies. I want to educate you about what is normal, what is not normal, and when you should be concerned, because you cannot understand your fertility if you don't start at the beginning. Listen to my challenge for you this week. Welcome to As a Woman, the podcast hosted by fertility physician, Dr. Natalie Crawford, to educate and empower women. Each week, learn about your health, your fertility, and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community, fostering collaboration over competition, while learning how to authentically find your voice and amplify others as a woman. Hi, friends. I am so excited to welcome you back to As a Woman. This is episode seven, the menstrual cycle period. And I think that this episode is so, so important because this is the basics. If you are a woman, you have a period. You do, and regardless of if you wanna get pregnant now or in the future or never, it doesn't matter. This is your body. You deserve to understand how it works and how it functions. And that is what this is all about. You are more empowered if you know. If you understand what is normal, then you can advocate for yourself. And I just feel so strongly about this. Menstrual cycles, periods, they have been stigmatized for so long, and we as women have accepted this stigma to the point that we don't even talk about it. This makes things so much worse because then women who have medical conditions or abnormal periods, they feel outcast for speaking up. They feel different because their symptoms are different or they feel somewhat less of a woman because of how they are impacted by their cycles. And so it is time for us to stop. Stop hiding our tampons. You heard me say that, but stop hiding our tampons. Stop making fun of other women for their periods. Stop allowing other people to make fun of your period and stop not understanding how your body functions. And so we're going to start with number one, stop hiding your tampon. I'm sitting here guilty of this my entire life. Even as a physician, as an OBGYN resident, I would take my tampon and hide it up my sleeve or put it in a pocket or whatever. And looking back, why? Why on earth are we putting our tampons into these secret places so nobody sees them as we sneak off into the bathroom? It must be subconsciously that we are ashamed to be bleeding or ashamed that we are dirty or unclean or something else that has been ingrained in us from an early age. In our culture, nobody really tells us this, but we all do the same things. We all try to hide the fact that we're on our period. And I can remember being young and waiting for my period to start. And this is such a hard time for young women. I I know you guys have been through this too. I mean, you're getting ready to go to that next stage of womanhood to be more adult like your friends, but you're also terrified of when that moment will come, that it will be the most inopportune time, that you'll be at school or bleeding through your clothes. And that's the thing nightmares would be made of when you're an adolescent. And I also particularly think that this predisposes us to go into categories around this time period, the girls who have their period and the girls who don't. And this innate desire to fit into the category that our friends are in will have us hide where we are in this journey. That doesn't make it easy for us to understand from an early age what a period is and what is normal. And it doesn't make it easy for us to talk to each other or to understand what is not normal. 
And as a fertility physician, I see this all the time. Women who have highly irregular or abnormal periods and nobody ever tells them that this is abnormal. A well-meaning provider at some point may have put them on hormonal contraception to regulate their cycles, which is not the wrong treatment at all, but they never really talk to the patient about, hey, this is abnormal or what else could be going on. And by just moving into that treatment phase, women often feel like it isn't really a big problem or they don't understand why that contraception, those hormones may be helpful for their specific case. And so all of this is to say, stop hiding your tampon. There is so much here that is important to talk about. To begin with, there is no reason that we should feel such stigma over such a normal process as a woman. And I know that most of us, nobody wants to feel stigma. We're just living in the world. We are adapting to the world around us. And I think the only way to break this is for us to actively normalize the things that are normal. Carry your tampon around, talk about your period normally, ask questions of other women, empower yourself and by those around you by acknowledging that this is a normal part of womanhood. And just like diseases that can impact other parts of your body, your reproductive system is no different. You deserve to understand your body. And when I was an REI fellow in charge of helping to teach the OBGYN residents, very often they would tell me that they didn't really have a complete understanding of the menstrual cycle until they came onto our rotation. And that's totally okay. They are residents. They are learning at that time period. But just think about this. Those are OBGYN residents. And so it's certainly possible that other physicians in other fields may not be trained quite enough on the complexities of reproduction in medical school alone. And right now I'm talking about physicians. And so let's just take a step back and say, if you are getting advice or treatment about your menstrual cycle from a hormone expert, please understand why are they calling themselves that and not saying, hey, I'm a reproductive endocrinologist, like I'm telling you. Because I went through medical school, I did four years of an OBGYN residency, I did three years of an REI fellowship, I have two board certifications, I'm a hormone expert. And just because someone calls themselves a hormone expert does not mean that they are one. Please understand the source of the information so you can be an informed consumer. And on that note, we are going to dive into the menstrual cycle. I'm going to tell you what's normal, and I'm going to make you understand how your body works. So it's called the menstrual cycle because menstruation is the act of shedding the blood in the tissue that lines the uterus. This is called the endometrium. In lay term, the menses is also called your period. This is a hormonally derived process. However, women can have bleeding from many other causes that are abnormal that I'll go into in a little bit. But your period, the beginning. The first day of your period is the first day of full flow, not the first day of spotting, but the first day of actual bleeding. That's considered day one. An occasional day of spotting before your period can be a normal variant, but more than this is not, and it may be representing an abnormality in the cycle before or in the luteal phase. During your menses, you are actively bleeding off all of the endometrium since you didn't get pregnant last month. This entire process is just to get a fresh, clean slate so that you can grow a new lining suitable for implantation of an embryo this next month. While you are bleeding, so while you're actively getting rid of the old, your brain starts to release a hormone called FSH. This is follicle-stimulating hormone. 
And this is a really well-named hormone because it stimulates a follicle within the ovary to grow. But really what FSH is doing is it's choosing an egg to grow for that month. The eggs are microscopic and they can't be seen, but they grow inside of follicles in the ovaries, which can be seen on ultrasound. So as the egg matures, a few different things then happen. One is that estrogen is made from that maturing egg. Another is that the follicle in which the egg grows in starts to get bigger, and we can see this on ultrasound, but that estrogen stimulates the endometrium to grow into a nice and organized fashion. It gets thicker as you get closer to ovulation. And to make sense of this, this whole first half of the menstrual cycle from when your period starts, day number one, until you ovulate when that egg is fully mature and released, that's the time period where an egg is maturing inside a follicle and it's called the follicular phase. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. Their essential and ritual knows this. I choose ritual multivitamin every day because it is easy to take, and I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. In fact, Ritual conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy, and the results showed increase in vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. No my shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. This part of the cycle is typically between 8 to 12 days, depending on the woman, but each woman has her own set point. Now, ovulation is the act of the egg being released from inside the follicle. And I say this all the time. So really try to grasp this concept because I think this will help you understand how your body functions. This is the endocrine system. It is a system of hormones and receptors and signals. And I love it. It's fascinating. But think about it this way. It's blind. The brain cannot see what is happening. It can't see. It doesn't know what is happening in the rest of your body. It can't see inside the ovary and see that a follicle is growing or that an egg is mature. And so it can only hear the signal that comes back to it from the hormones. And it interprets maturity based on a high and a prolonged estrogen signal for at least 50 hours. So this high prolonged estrogen elevation triggers the brain to then release the LH surge or the luteinizing hormone surge. The LH surge is what signals to the ovary that it's time for ovulation. And before this time period, there's no LH really. LH is not a factor in that follicular phase or in the part of getting an egg to grow inside a follicle. That's an FSH phenomenon. LH comes about right here for triggering ovulation, and then it's important in the second half of the cycle. The LH surge is the way that the brain communicates with the ovary that it's time to ovulate. And the LH surge occurs about 24 to 36 hours before ovulation. So it's the pre-ovulation signal. With ovulation, the egg is released and then captured by the fallopian tubes, 
And the egg can only be fertilized for about 24 hours. After that, it is expired. Time is up. So fertilization occurs in the fallopian tubes. The follicle that released that egg forms a cyst called a corpus luteum. And this corpus luteum is what is responsible for making progesterone. And it's stimulated by luteinizing hormone or that LH. And this second half of the cycle, the time from ovulation until that next cycle starts, that's appropriately called the luteal phase. And I'm going to take a time out to do a public service announcement about cysts on your ovaries found incidentally on ultrasound or CT scan for some other purpose. It's pretty normal if you are a woman to have a cyst no matter when in your cycle you're looking with the exception of like when you're on your period. And the reason why is that a cyst is a fluid-filled structure. And so when your follicle is growing, you have that follicle, that's a cyst on ultrasound or on CT scan. And that corpus luteum, that's the leftover follicle, hey, that's a cyst also. So these are these are functional or these are normal. And I don't want you to be thinking, oh, I had that cyst that time, but that's always a bad thing. It is actually normal as women to have cysts at various times of your cycle. Okay, so think about it this way. The first half of your cycle, the follicular phase, You don't have any progesterone because that only happens after ovulation. It's an estrogen dominant state where the estrogen is made from that egg maturing inside a follicle. After ovulation occurs, that corpus luteum is then making both estrogen and progesterone. And the progesterone only comes from that corpus luteum after ovulation. It is only found in the luteal phase or in pregnancy. So if pregnancy occurs... Implantation usually is about five to seven days after fertilization, and this implanted embryo will then start to make human chorionic gonadotropin, or HCG, also known as the pregnancy hormone. But HCG is essential to stimulate the corpus luteum to continue and make progesterone until that placenta is fully functioning around eight to nine weeks. So the luteal phase is a progesterone-dependent state. The progesterone comes from that corpus luteum or the leftover follicle after ovulation, and progesterone production is stimulated by both LH pulses from the brain and from HCG from an ongoing pregnancy. So if no pregnancy occurs, there's no HCG, and the corpus luteum dies. There's nothing to stimulate it or to rescue it. And so it dies. And as I said, the only thing that makes that progesterone is the corpus luteum. So when there's no HCG rescue, corpus luteum dies, progesterone levels drop. And this drop in progesterone is what tells the body that you are not pregnant and that it is time to shed that lining and regrow it for the next month. And then you have your period and the cycle continues. Now listen to me. The luteal phase is essential for implantation and pregnancy, and this is why progesterone is so important. There is often a lot of talk about progesterone deficiency leading to miscarriage, and it's true a low progesterone level is associated with miscarriage. But really, if I'm honest, sometimes as clinicians, we aren't really sure if this is you know, a chicken or an egg phenomenon, meaning if the pregnancy is bad, like genetically abnormal, Maybe it doesn't secrete the same HCG signal and it communicates differently with the corpus luteum, resulting in poor progesterone secretion and subsequently miscarriage. Or maybe a low progesterone level leads to inability to support the pregnancy and you miscarry. And what we do know is that absence of progesterone clearly causes miscarriage in this time frame. So before nine weeks, 
absence of progesterone equals miscarriage. And this is clearly proven in studies when women who are pregnant and have their corpus luteum removed, and that can happen emergently for an ovarian torsion or a twisted ovary and that cyst or that whole ovary gets removed. If the woman is not given supplemental progesterone, she'll miscarry. Progesterone is the key to early pregnancy success. Now, there is some concern that women or some women may have some just innate difficulty with progesterone production, and this results in a luteal phase deficiency or insufficient luteal phase to support implantation of pregnancy. Clinical symptoms of a luteal deficiency could be luteal phase spotting, so having lots of spotting leading up to your period, or having a shortened luteal phase than than what you should. So typically, a luteal phase should be around 12 days in length. And if you're tracking your cycles and your luteal phase is chronically really short, eight or nine days, there may be something wrong that it's not sufficient to allow for conception. There used to be a test to evaluate luteal phase deficiency. This was uh, endometrial biopsy. So this would be an an office procedure and tissue would be taken out of the uterus. It would be like a speculum exam and a little pipel would go in through the cervix into the uterus and tissue would be taken out and it would be evaluated. um, And the histology would be compared to say, hey, is this what it should really look like in the middle of the luteal phase? But this test has fallen out of favor meaning it hasn't really been correlated with having a luteal phase deficiency or any difficulty conceiving. And so that test is no longer recommended anymore, which is great. Nobody wants a luteal phase endometrial biopsy just for fun. But just because there is no good test doesn't mean that the clinical findings are not important. And a note on luteal phase deficiency. My REI fellowship director, he wrote the book, like seriously, If you're an OBGYN resident or med school, he wrote Spare Off. So he wrote the book on what we learn from when we're trying to learn reproductive endocrinology. And he once said about luteal phase deficiency, just because something is difficult to study does not mean that it is not important or impactful. And I just agree with this so much. And to further this, I really geek out. I love the luteal phase. So in fellowship, so REI fellowship is three years long. And half the time, at least 18 months, is dedicated to research. And during this, you have to write a thesis. And so half my time, I'm doing my research. I have to write this thesis. You have to defend your thesis at the oral boards, which is just the worst thing on earth. But I decided during my time, I also got a master's of science in clinical research. And my whole thesis project was on luteal phase deficiency and natural fertility. And so I've spent a ton of time diving into all the research that exists about the luteal phase. And I really do believe that having a normal luteal phase is important for natural conception. But let's get back to the menstrual cycle. One common cause of infertility is anovulation, and this means the absence of regular ovulation. I get asked about detecting ovulation all the time, and it is worth telling you this, that as a fertility physician, the number one sign of ovulation is regular predictable periods. That's it, regular predictable periods. So if you track your cycles and... I mean, just even marking cycle day one in your calendar like it, or on your app, you can look through and see your cycle pattern. And if it's regular and predictable, great, congrats, you're ovulating. But if you want to confirm ovulation, there are a few different things we can do. I'll be honest, in a clinical setting, if you have a really good menstrual history, we tend not to do any of these in an infertility evaluation. But we should review them because you should be familiar with some of the terminology. The most common test is a blood test, and it's a mid-luteal progesterone level, also called a day 21 progesterone. 
And in reality, it should be checked in the middle of whatever is your luteal phase. So in a normal 28-day cycle, this is day 21. And the luteal phase, as we said, is usually set 12 to 14 days. So if you have a 35-day cycle, you actually ovulate usually around day 21, and your mid-luteal progesterone should be checked on day 28. So if you just pranced in on day 21, it would be too soon, and the test is going to show that you have not ovulated because you have not ovulated. But one more little nuance about this test, this test, a mid-luteal progesterone or a day 21 progesterone, it only confirms if you ovulated. There's no way that this test should be used or could be used to confirm an adequate luteal phase. It doesn't exist. What that means is any level over the cutoff, which is three nanograms per milliliter, this means you ovulated, congrats. There is some falsehood that 10 nanograms per milliliter is a number that confirms a sufficient luteal phase, just doesn't exist. During the luteal phase, progesterone secreted in pulses, stimulated from the LH pulses from the brain, and depending how close you check that progesterone blood draw to when your brain had an LH pulse, it can range anywhere between 3 to 40 nanograms per milliliter, and all is normal. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperatures starting to warm up, I'm so excited that summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside, enjoying nature, I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. And if you want to get your skin glowing in time for summer, it's time for you to get started with Apostrophe, who is sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin. So whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan. It's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash A-A-W and click get started. Then use the code A-A-W at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. And luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, but Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. So just to clarify, no blood test confirms a normal luteal phase. It only tells you if you did in fact ovulate. This is different in pregnancy. As we discussed like before, 
pregnancy progesterone is secreted in a different fashion, stimulated by HCG and then the placenta. And if your doctor is checking progesterone levels in pregnancy, it's for a different purpose. There are other ways to confirm if you ovulated or to predict ovulation. One of these is ovulation predictor kits. And these are actually detecting that LH surge that we talked about. So remember the LH surge is released, causing ovulation. It's typically released in the morning. And an ovulation predictor kit is like a kind of like a pregnancy test. It's like a pee stick that you urinate on. And you need to give it time for the LH hormone released in the morning to get into your urine before you use the test. So if I have patients using these, I usually recommend check your OPKs one time a day between 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Once you get a positive, no need to check further. You should be ovulating the next day. And there's other ways to check for ovulation too, including cervical mucus monitoring or basal body temp. And I'm not going to go into those now. We'll talk in depth about all of these fertility awareness methods in a future episode called Optimizing Natural Fertility. But let's just review a few different disorders that are associated with abnormalities in your periods. And the truth is, every single etiology we talk about probably could have its whole own show, and a lot of them probably will in the future. But I just want to cover a few basics right now. One is abnormal cycles. If your cycles are abnormal in length, so shorter than every 25 days or longer than every 35 days, you should be evaluated by a physician. For each individual woman, her cycle should vary only by one to two days per month. But common causes of abnormal bleeding could be thyroid disease, pituitary abnormalities, structural abnormalities like polyps or fibroids, or something called PCOS. So a moment about PCOS. This is polycystic ovarian syndrome, and it's truly a disease of increased androgen, the male hormone production from the ovary instead of estrogen production. It is a disorder of ovarian dysfunction, and it's highly associated with insulin resistance. There's an increased association between being overweight and having PCOS, and there's also a thin phenotype of PCOS, and the mechanisms are a little different. The physiology is very fascinating. But clinically, how do you know if you have PCOS? The current diagnostic criteria for PCOS, it includes irregular cycles, high androgen findings, and a particular appearance of your ovaries on vaginal ultrasound. And you need two out of three to meet diagnostic criteria. But really, let's talk about irregular cycles because this is really the hallmark of the disease in my opinion, and it can really range. They can be just slightly irregular, like every four to six weeks, or it can be highly irregular, like a period a year. Think of PCOS like a disease with different variants and stage. And there are things that you can do depending on your particular symptoms and findings to improve your cycles. But importantly, we need to know if your irregular periods are due to PCOS or is it your thyroid or your pituitary or is there a polyp? What's going on? And very often, PCOS requires lifestyle modification and medications for ovulation induction in order to get a woman to regularly ovulate when they're trying to conceive. And if you're not trying to get pregnant, it's still important to regulate your cycles, and so you should be seeing a physician. Absent cycles or not having any periods at all, that's called amenorrhea. And amenorrhea can be due to disorders like PCOS. It can be due to hypothalamic or pituitary diseases. And it can be due to stress, eating disorder, high exercise levels, brain masses, abnormal hormone secretion, or obstruction like cervical stenosis, a septum, scar tissue, etc., a good history and blood work can identify the cause. Now, heavy menses is called menorrhagia, and that's a really heavy period. That can be with clots or profuse bleeding. 
That can be due to bleeding disorders like deficiencies in some of your clotting factors. It can be due to PCOS with irregular shedding. It can be due to uterine polyps or uterine fibroids. Now, fibroids are benign masses in the uterus that can form balls of tissue. These balls, these fibroids, they increase menstrual bleeding and they also cause pain with your periods. They can cause bulk symptoms if really large, meaning you may look or feel pregnant because your uterus is so enlarged, and they potentially can be associated with infertility or miscarriage depending on the size and location. And painful periods can be due to uterine fibroids or endometriosis. Now, endometriosis is fascinating, and we will talk about it more in the future. We don't really know what causes endometriosis, but we know that it's an inflammatory disease. And so think of it this way. When you have your period and you have cramps, some red blood cells, some of the endometrial cells migrate out the fallopian tubes and into the pelvic cavity, but these implants can attach into the peritoneum and the body views these cells as foreign and starts to attack them and causes inflammatory patches. And inflammation, when it comes to reproduction, just like everything else in the body, it's the enemy. Inflammation is toxic and it's bad for you. Symptoms of endometriosis can include painful periods, painful intercourse, and sometimes some other GI symptoms depending on where the implants are. But we do know that the level of disease is not always associated with the level of symptoms. And to make things even worse, this is a disease where the only way to diagnose it truly is with surgery. So there's no blood test or physical exam or ultrasound finding that can rule out endometriosis. I'm hoping that if you have irregular, absent, heavy, painful periods, you consider getting an evaluation sooner than later, and especially before you're interested in trying to get pregnant. You deserve to know if the symptoms that you have been feeling or experiencing is due to a medical condition or if you require other treatment. And in addition, hormone changes are not benign, meaning every woman has her own set point of sensitivity to the rise and the fall of estrogen and progesterone that occur in a natural cycle. Typically, it is the drop in hormones, which happens the week before you start your period, where most women feel the most mood symptoms. And I'm sure you've probably heard of PMS or premenstrual syndrome. This is officially when you have very similar symptoms every month before your period starts. And these typically include depression, anger, irritability, confusion, social withdrawal, fatigue, breast tenderness, abdominal bloating, headaches, swollen legs. And these symptoms are typically gone by four days once your period starts. Now, there's something called PMDD, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, and it's kind of a continuation of the spectrum. It's where there's a severity of mood symptoms that become severe in the same time frame, and they can really be debilitating to a woman. And there's a lot of other menstrually associated disorders, such as menstrual migraines, epilepsy, premenstrual asthma, and hematothorax, that all are very interesting and fascinating. So maybe now that we've reviewed the menstrual cycle, you have some insight into how your body functions. And I hope that by talking about your periods and the diseases that can be associated with your periods and the normal hormone changes throughout your cycle, we can normalize this conversation. In reality, there's a worldwide problem that in certain regions of the world and even in our own country, when it comes to social isolation, discrimination, all associated with menstruation. And in fact, this year, period, end of sentence, won an Academy Award for the best short documentary talking about the PAD project in India, which was empowering women by providing menstrual supplies and a means to facilitate income. They could keep going to school because they had menstrual supplies. And I think it was a great look to have something very normal like menstruation on a bigger stage. But this is not just a problem with other countries. In the Green Journal, the leading journal of OBGYNs, 
There was this recently a study published evaluating the lack of menstrual supplies in American women in low socioeconomic classes. Certainly, the stigma of menstruation is real, and lack of access to menstrual supplies only exemplifies the problem. Imagine for me for just a moment if you had to choose between buying pads or food for your family, and imagine if you have to work to provide an income from your family, and you can't get through the workday on your period without a pad. It is a never-ending cycle. And we only change the conversation by changing it. By not saying, I'm just on my period, or oh, she's on her period, or oh, she's just PMSing. When we do that, we are making menstruation bad. We are adding to the stigma that you don't want to tell anyone about your period because you don't want to be made fun of. And we are limiting the ability to talk about our menstrual cycle with others. If your periods are painful, you should be able to seek help without fear of discrimination, that you are just weak for not tolerating what every other woman can tolerate. We are all unique, individual. Our bodies are complex, fascinating, and you deserve to understand your body. And that means advocating for yourself at times. And so my challenge to you is to help normalize menstruation. Talk about your period. Ask your friends how they feel when they're on their period. If you're concerned about your symptoms, ask. And again, stop making fun. No period jokes. No PMS jokes. Stop adding to the stigma of menstruation. And if you have the resources, go out and buy a box of tampons or pads and you leave them on the public bathroom on the counter and who knows who you may be helping. And thank you guys so much for listening today. I can't wait to hear what you think about this. I just want to say a big thank you to everybody who has been supporting As a Woman, the podcast with your reviews and shares and ratings. It means so much to me. Please feel free to follow along on my Instagram at nataliecrawfordmd or check out the blog nataliecrawfordmd.com. Send over any questions you have or topics you'd like to have covered and join us next week for episode eight, The Problem with Perfection. We will be diving into how perfection can hold us back and be the fuel for imposter syndrome.